Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 2, and we'll get to Matthew chapter, um, Matthew chapter um, 2, and then we're going to also look at Luke chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2, and I want to talk about Christmas list, and so thank you in a huge way to our youth and Pastor Jordan and Pastor Brooke and their leaders um, who spent last Sunday evening decorating the church and making sure everything was exactly right. Uh, our facilities guys, I said, I want some big Christmas boxes because I want to talk about the list for Christmas. And everybody stepped up in a huge way, and so thank you so much for that. But as they were preparing everything here at church, my wife was pestering me, and I think that's the right word to use, to decorate everything at our house. For several years, um, I spent, um, uh, for, for 12, 13 years, I spent... Um, decorating a uh, part of downtown Jacksonville. And uh, we put up a huge, huge Christmas tree. It was 56 feet. It was a televised show. And I just, since then, just would like to take a break from decorating for Christmas. Uh, but Melissa does not want to take a break from decorating Christmas. And here's what always, I don't know about your house, but here's what happens in our house. The decorations that are up have to come down and then you have to get the other decorations out for Christmas and put up all the Christmas stuff and then pack up all the other stuff that you just took down and then put it away only to turn around and do it in just a few months. And then in the middle of all of that come the Christmas lists. I don't know if you have any Christmas lists, but it seems like my Christmas list every year gets longer and longer and longer and longer. Because my Christmas list is the list that Melissa prepares for me. And that list just has more and more and more and more on that list. And so we've all become good at making Christmas lists. I don't know if you have, have done Christmas decorations yet. Some people are, let's get it up as soon as we possibly can. And some people are, it has to be after Thanksgiving. And so you may have spent the past couple of days decorating after Thanksgiving. And some of you may want a break, and you may do it next week. But when you think of Christmas, what is it that you actually think of? Do you think of family? Do you think of food? Do you think of the decorations? Do you think of Christmas gifts? Do you think of lists? What is it that you actually think of at Christmas time? I want to take a look at two different passages that actually share the very first Christmas with us. But as we go through these next several weeks, I want to talk about our priorities. What is it that is at the very, very top of our Christmas list? Most of us, when making Christmas lists, actually have something that looks a little bit like this. There's a Christmas shopping list. 
and we think, I've got to get this present for this person. And then we can mark that off. And we try to figure out a, a budget. We try to stay within that budget. And when we begin to think of Christmas list, after we get the decorations, after we get things up, we start to think of presents. And for a lot of us, at the top of our Christmas list are presents. But what is your priority at Christmas? What is it that you're thinking of? I want to ask, start with this question. Do you agree or disagree with this? Christmas is unique in that for a season, people are more likely to think of others than themselves. If you've ever watched a Christmas movie, you know that this is true, right? It starts out with a selfish person Something happens towards the end of the movie about two-thirds of the way through, and then they finally get to end the Christmas movie where that selfish person is thinking about the other person. And so then we would say that almost all of our Christmas, you can go back and watch, turn on Hallmark. The only difference in, the only difference in some of the Hallmark movies, there's a selfish guy who hates the unselfish girl. He becomes unselfish, they fall in love, and they get married, and they live happily ever after. That's the only thing different on the Hallmark movies. But it all works out the same way. It's all about Christmas, where we are more likely to think of others than ourselves. And so this is a natural time for us to be thinking of the needs of others before ourselves. And the amazing thing about the nativity, when we look at Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and we think of this scene in the manger or in a barn or in a guest house, and we think of all that's happening the characters in this nativity show us the importance of changing our perception about other people. And it happens and starts in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, we're after the point to where Jesus has actually been born. We don't know the length of time that's happened between the birth of Christ and the beginning here in Matthew chapter 2. But it shows us something important that we can begin to wrap our heads around to help us with our Christmas list this season. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, or wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. And we have come to worship him. When Herod, heard, when Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And then skip over to verse 9. After the magi, or wise men, had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. We read through this passage of Scripture and we think, okay, this is amazing. The Lord revealed himself to the magi or the wise men. They came and saw Jesus. They worshipped him, and then they left. But I want us to think this morning, who were these magi? Or who were these wise men? If we were to study about them, we would see that there were some biblical scholars that would maybe differ on exactly who they were, but they would all say that these were a variety of actually smart men, intellectuals, 
that were interested and they studied dreams, astrology, magic, and books. And here, as we get into Matthew chapter 2, Matthew records this arrival of these wise men or magi coming to the birth of Jesus, or shortly after the birth of Jesus, that they saw a star and they followed the Christ star to actually, that actually led them to the place where Jesus was born. So here we know that these men were a bunch of astrologers and they were studying the stars. Some biblical scholars would tell us that more than likely they were pagan astrologers. And so these were not people that were actually looking for the birth of Christ to come. As we would think of who would be looking for Jesus to actually be born, we could think back of what God had done for his people throughout all of history and the miracles and wonders that they had seen and that they had actually observed with their own eyes and the stories that had been passed down throughout the centuries. We would think that it would be God's chosen people from which he used Abraham and used Moses and used Joshua to prepare and lead these people who actually were there when miracles happened in front of their eyes. More than likely, we would think it would be this group of people that was actually the first to arrive to see the baby Jesus, the Messiah, the Deliverer, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords actually be born. But Matthew tells us, and I find this so interesting, that it wasn't his chosen people. God called and led the pagan astrologers to lay their eyes first. And we'll look at the shepherds in Luke 2 in just a moment. To actually be the first to see Jesus being born. You think of all the ways that Jesus could have arrived on the earth. And truly he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And God's people were actually looking for somebody to have a triumphant entry and his first arrival, God in the flesh, to come into the world. And they missed it because they weren't looking for the Savior. They instead were looking for a physical king. And God used pagan astrologers to come first, a far distance, to worship the king. These pagan astrologers came from a distance, from afar, the scripture tells us. They were outsiders from the Jewish community. They weren't a part of the in crowd, but yet God revealed the Messiah to him. Why did it happen this way? I want you to catch this, and I don't want you to miss this, because I want this to affect you the entire Christmas season. Why did it happen this way? Because God is showing us through his first arrival in the flesh, that he cares for all people. All people. Had he only appeared and, draw, and he only drew the people who were his chosen people to the nativity, he could have presented himself as casting out those people that were outsiders. But that's not the way that God worked. He drew the pagans to actually see him. God was saying in the arrival of the wise men, in the arrival of the wise men, in the arrival of the magi and the wise men, that this birth was about Jesus coming for all people. Do you know what all means? All means all. That means everybody. That means nobody is excluded. 
And we cannot be content gathering here on Sunday morning while people who may be pagan astrologers drive by and we are not affected that they are not experiencing the presence of God Almighty. So then let's take a look at Luke chapter 2. So you think, okay, this is just one instance. This is just at the beginning one group of people that God led to actually lay eyes on the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our Savior, our Deliverer, Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 2, in the beginning of Luke, this is what we see in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. We can actually hear Charlie Brown saying that as we read that, right? Because it's just become so routine to us that we miss what is actually happening in this passage of Scripture. There were shepherds excluded from everybody else, keeping watch over their flocks by night. They weren't living with the people. In verse 8 of Luke, Luke tells us that they were living excluded, away, living in fields nearby, but not with the people. He goes on in verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord was shining around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for, here it is, all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So here we get the shepherds. And we see that they are, again, excluded, not with the people. They were close to, but they weren't with the people. And we would think, well, how is it? Whenever the angel comes and the angel appears, today is born to you a Savior, a King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How would you then get ready to actually go see the King? Chances are they didn't wait to get a bath to go see the baby Jesus. At this point, I think the the shepherds, just a bunch of hard-working people doing what they did day in and day out, living apart from everybody else. Their life was changed drastically because God appeared first to those who were excluded, not the Jewish people, but to the excluded shepherds in the way that he would later appear to the wise men or the magi. And said, come and see the birth of the king. And what started out as a typical day for these shepherds was drastically changed by God's plan and history. At this point, the shepherds had to be shunned. They were the lowest class of people, tradition tells us. They were coming in just ahead of the leopards, the lepers, who as the bell rang, outcast, outcast, outcast. They weren't allowed to be around them. And from the actual list of rules, this is what it says about the shepherds. No help is to be given to the heathen or the shepherds. But God appeared to them first. Why? Because God is saying, I am coming for all people. So I want you to begin to think of the outcasts that we interact with. Or we shun and walk away from on a daily basis. Who are the people that we don't want to be around for whatever reason? The wise men, the shepherds, 
The people, because they're pagan, because they're smelly, because we treat them the way that, they, that we would the heathen. Who are those people? And this is what I propose to you for this Christmas. This Christmas. These are the people that should be at the top of your Christmas list. Because they were at the top of God's Christmas list. The shepherds were called first. The angel appeared to them and said, Today is born to you in the city of David a shepherd, a shepherd. He is, he is a king. He is Christ the Lord. It says, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. The outcast, God said, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to draw you first. He came to shake up the kingdoms of this world and establish his kingdom by wrapping himself in flesh so that he could be with all people, not just us. Listen, that has to capture our hearts this Christmas. This has to take our Christmas list and turn it upside down. This has to change the way that we think about Christmas. This has to change the way that we approach the birth of our Savior and our Lord. It's not about us, and it's not about those around us that are the closest to us. Instead, Christmas, I say, is the way that God actually intended it, which is about those that are furthest away from us and drawing them in to the love of Christ. This is how they viewed the shepherds. Four things, four things. They considered the shepherds ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Because of the nature of the work that they were doing, they were unable to attend any religious services. They were outcasts from this. They were isolated. They were forgotten. Because their flocks needed to move around and find new grass and fresh water, they never stayed in one place for very long. They were constantly on the move, and their relationships with others suffered, not only because they were ceremonially, ceremonially unclean and others wouldn't have anything to do with them, but because they were constantly on the move. On the move. They were treated with contempt and mistrust. They were suspected of stealing from others and would often confuse Thine with mine. They were takers. They were never givers. Their testimony was never allowed in court because they were so unreliable. And they were known to be brash and bold. They lived out in the fields away from society and it made them unappealing. Shepherds were generally always single their entire life. Most of them had foul mouths and they were ready to fight at the drop of a hat. So imagine the Queen of England announcing her birth of her grandson, perhaps a future king this way. Would the Queen of England go out and bring in the, the outcast, bring in the people that were unclean? Would the Queen of England, in announcing the birth of a future king, go out and say, for those of you that smell and stink, and we're not even going to allow you to testify in court, come in, I'm bringing you into my courts to actually be the first to lay eyes on the future king. But yet, that's exactly what God did. 
Why did God do it? Because he is announcing to us that we have to change the way that we view other people. Because the hope that Jesus came, that we have lit a candle in remembrance of this morning, is not hope only for us that have gathered inside these walls. But once we gather this hope and receive him to be our own, then we have to take this hope to the world that is around us. We have to answer the question, why 89 years ago would God cause this church to be launched in this area? And I'll tell you why. God dreamed of this church because surrounding us are more people that do not have a relationship with Him than do actually have a relationship with Him. And God has allowed this church through his presence to, to be with us throughout these years and has sustained us in a lot and in little, in dry seasons and in plentiful seasons to make sure that we take the hope that we possess to those less fortunate all around us. Listen, there is a community around us that we could classify as shepherds, as outcasts, as not reliable, as people that we would never want our kids and grandkids to be around. But these are the very ones that Jesus first saw. These are the ones that God invited in to see the king. God has always worked wonders. God has always been miraculous. But here at his arrival, when he first took on flesh, he drew the forgotten, the despised, the lowly, and he said, come, I want you to see me first. Because he was bringing hope to a world that had none. Listen, I am not content with hope only being experienced inside of these four walls. I believe the hope that is in here, we have to come and be refreshed each week with it so that we can take it out there. Because I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but the hopeless aren't coming. <laughs> the hopeless, very few hopeless are coming in here. So we have to go find them and bring them to Jesus. We have to go where the hopeless are. You see, that's exactly what God did with the shepherds, the wise men, and the magi. He appeared to, the, to them with an angel. He appeared and led them with a star. You see, what God did is he met them where they were at. And so our goal should be to be Christ-like and if God went to where they are, then we, too, have to go be where they are. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13 and verse 12, Jesus actually said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. You see, our assignment in this is to go find the sinners and bring them here. I have been praying for weeks up to this day that we would not find more righteous people to become a part of Whitechapel Church. But instead, I have been praying that we go find a bunch of sinners to come be a part of Whitechapel Church so that they can become righteous themselves. You see, our goal is to find the wise men. Our goal is to find the magi and the shepherds, our, our, uh, the, the wise men and the shepherds and the outcasts and the forgotten and those who have been excluded and bring them to the throne of God. You see, 
We cannot win people to ourselves. We, in reflecting Christ, have to win people to Christ and make sure that he is first in all things. So who should be at the top of our Christmas list? Should it be our family, our friends, our loved ones, our kids and our grandkids to make sure that they have the best of the presents? I would say it goes against what Jesus was doing in Luke 2 and Matthew 2. Now that's okay. We want to share our love in that way. And it's okay to do that. But we have to make certain that also in our Christmas list are the outcast, the downtrodden, and those that are less fortunate. We have to see the bigger picture of what God is doing and how he is moving in the lives of other people around the world and stop being so focused with that which is right in front of us because God is always at work in the world around us. In the scripture we read from John earlier, it is in him, it is in him and for him that all things were created. And so God is always at work. And so we have to be aware of this bigger picture of actually what Jesus is doing around the world. I say to us this year, for the followers of Jesus, the others-centered ethic should be the norm for us this Christmas. It should always be about others and others that are far away so that we can help see Christ actually draw them in. This is a moment for us as followers of Jesus Christ that are a part of Whitechapel Church to see the love of Jesus spread all the way around this county around us. So what is it that plagues this area? What is it that plagues this area? We have been here for about a year now. In a few weeks, it'll be right out a year. I've driven around the area. I've looked at the area. I've watched the news. I've read the newspaper. And I've started to dive into some statistics for us. And this is what plagues our area. One of the number one things are drug crimes. The area in the green and the light green would get the grade of A or a B for drug crimes. The area, the area in the orange and the area in the light orange get the grade of D and F for drug crimes. You think, oh, well, the area where I live, it's true for me, the area where I live is green. So I'm, I'm good, right? No, because there's a lot more orange and there's a lot more um, yellow that's a part of this than there is green. You see, this area has a problem with drugs. And we have to make sure in a safe way that these people are on our Christmas lists. Another thing that, that, that is a problem in this area is violent crime. Now, the area where I live is green. I'm good. No. Because, again, there's a lot more orange and there's a lot more yellow on this map than there is green area. And you know what? The area just north of us as a church, there's a lot of orange. There's a lot of yellow up there in drug crimes and in violent crimes. We could go on and on with some other statistics. But the thing that shocks me the most 
is there are more people who don't have a relationship with Jesus than there are that do have a relationship with Jesus. And I'm not okay with that. And it's been my prayer for months that it would stir inside our hearts to radically change us as a congregation, that we fall so much in love with Jesus Christ that we are not okay with people not having Jesus as their Savior. You know why there's a problem with drugs? Do you know why there's a problem with violent crimes? Because people are looking for the answer to the questions of their life. And listen, we have the answer. I love my family. I love spending time with my family. I love my wife's family. And I love spending time with my wife's family. And I wish that everyone was a part of my family or my wife's family because it's an amazing family that I love deeply. In a greater way, I am a part of the family of God. And I want everybody to be a part of the family of God. I can't, in, I can't bring everybody into my physical family. Not everyone would be able to come and take the last name Chambliss. It's, it, that's just not possible. But instead, I can invite everybody to be a part of the family of God, a much greater family, and they can take on the name of Jesus Christ, and they can have a new father and a new life and a new heart so that dry bones awaken in them so that they experience the fullness of Jesus Christ. And so while I cannot bring everybody into my physical family, I can approach this area around us in loving them and inviting them to be a part of God's family. But it, only ta- it must take us flipping our Christmas list upside down. So the outcast, the drug addict, the violent criminal, and those around us who don't, who don't know Christ come into relationship with him. I am not saying that we do this in a foolish way. And I am not saying that we bring in the violent criminals and we let them go work in our school. That's not exactly what I'm saying. I am saying that God loves them. And I am saying that if they walk in relationship with Jesus Christ, their lives too can be changed. And we go forward in relation with them as our brothers and sisters when they are changed by Jesus Christ. But until then, we just have to keep loving them. You see, that's who Jesus invited to the the manger. That's who Jesus said, first, come and see me in the flesh, God in the flesh. I want to show you a short video of something that I believe every single one of us can do. This is a pastor in Denver, moved to Denver to actually start a church in a high, unchurched area, in an area where there were more people there don't have a relationship with Christ than there are that are around us. This pastor moved into Denver. He's planning a church, and he just started asking people that he would encounter, what would it take for the people in this area to attend a church? What type of church would the people in this area like to attend? And he did something that's amazing. I'm not proposing. This is what we do here. I think it's amazing, and I want to show you this video to spark something in your mind 
in hopes that it sparks something in your mind in the way that it sparks something in me. This pastor started something that he calls the Doubter Club. The Doubter Club. He went into a coffee house and just began building relationships. And they, they began having a night that they call the Doubters Club. So in this video, you're going to see a pastor on the left side, and you're going to see someone who is a professed atheist on the other side. I'm only going to show you the beginning of this, but I want you to be able to catch what's happening here. So we're doing this video tracks because something happened, but before we get to what happened in Orlando, Florida, let's just introduce ourselves and, and what our relationship's like. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So as you know, uh, I'm Trax Henderson. I own a coffee shop in yeah. the Highlands in Denver. Um, I'm also a musician, and I'm a moderator of the Doubters Club. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and you, you know, and you, you're an atheist. Mm -hmm. I'm a Christian, mm -hmm. and a lot of people think that doesn't work. Like they just think that. Well, I mean, and being a pastor to say like one of my best friends in Denver is an atheist. Mm -hmm. I get weird looks, right? I'm sure you do. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, I understand from an outside perspective when you don't have uh, a, a friendship like you and I do. Right. You know, obviously we don't believe the same things, but it's, I think what we have is honestly deeper than than some of the things that you and I believe or don't believe. Right. It's uh, what we champion, what you and I both champion, if I can put words in your mouth, is, sure. is unity and, and community and friendship pretty much above all else. Um, just because we believe different things doesn't mean we have to be, you know, right. fighting or, right. or arguing, arguing all the time. Right. And this thing. So if you caught there at the end before I, before I cut the video off, you actually see in this, they said, just because we disagree doesn't mean we can't be friends. Now, I want you to follow with me for just a moment, and I don't want you to lose me. Our pursuit as followers of Jesus Christ must always be Jesus Christ. That has to first be the first priority in our goal, in, in, in our pursuit of Christ. We, we can't get off of that. We have to pursue Jesus and nothing else. Because if we start chasing other things, then we have taken something else and put God as second place and put that thing above God. Jesus has to always be first. And as we are pursuing Jesus, then what happens is we begin to reflect his image more and more. We get closer and closer to Jesus. Then what happens is we become more Christ-like. We could say that we then become more holy because God is holy. Our pursuit is to be holy. And I want you to catch this because this is important. I in no way am saying that we should be less holy to try to attract an unholy world. Make sense? We cannot be like the world and expect the world to become Christ-like. The way the world becomes Christ-like is when Christ's followers become more Christ-like. And so I am not saying that we're all going to go hang out with a bunch of atheists and start acting in atheist ways. That is the wrong approach. That's not the approach that this pastor took. This pastor was just who he was. He didn't change who he was. He wasn't mean about it. He was friends with those that are around him. He was chasing and pursuing Christ first. And what he discovered as he got closer and closer to Christ, then other people became more interested in the God that he was in love with. Here's what I've discovered. If God is at the top and we are here and other people are here, Whenever we are chasing God, we get closer to Him, and other people become interested, and they start chasing after God, we in the world become closer and closer together. So God's at the top, and we're over here. 
we're over here, and the world or others, non-believers are over here. As we all get closer to Christ, we become closer and closer together. So we have to keep chasing Christ. We're not chasing the world. We're not chasing non-believers. We're not chasing sinners. That's not what we're doing. We're simply getting closer and closer to Christ so that as we get closer and closer to Christ, the world wants to get closer and closer to Christ. They can't start chasing us because that's backwards. The wise men, the outcast, the pagan astrologers, they were not chasing other, other uh, Jewish people. They were getting closer and closer to Christ. The shepherds who could not even be trusted to give testimony in court were not chasing other religious people. They were chasing Christ. And you know what happened? As they got closer to Christ, their lives were changed. Because in Luke chapter 2, verse 9, we see that they worshipped God. Our pursuit as a church must not be to chase this area around us. Our pursuit as a church must be first and only to chase Jesus Christ. Because as we chase Jesus and the world around us starts chasing Jesus, we get closer and closer and closer together. And so you know what happens? God's dream for us of being unified, we don't have to worry about getting closer and closer together because as we get closer to Christ, we automatically become closer and closer together. So we have to chase Christ. So if you look at your Christmas list, you have to first and foremost put Jesus Christ at the top because if you are not chasing him, then nothing else matters. Whitechapel Church, our pursuit is to discover Jesus and then simply reflect him. That's it. Discover Jesus and reflect him. Discover Jesus and reflect him. As we get closer and closer to him, the area around us is going to be like, hey, wait a minute. There's emptiness in the drugs that are in my life. There's emptiness in the crime that's in my life. There's emptiness in the relationships with my life. But I see this person getting closer and closer to Christ, and they do not have that emptiness. And so they are then going to want what we want, and then we just get to simply reflect Christ. That's it. We're not going to say, hey, come to Whitechapel Church because we've got it all figured out, because we don't. We're going to say, come to Jesus Christ, because he's the one that figured it out. And that's exactly what's happened here in, Mark, in Matthew 2 and in Luke 2. In moments of division in this world, the world needs Jesus, not the church. Boy, there was no amens there. The world needs Jesus. And then when you love Jesus, you want the church. We can't win people to the church. We win people to Jesus. In moments of division of this country, the world needs Jesus, and then they will fall in love with the church. In moments of racial backfighting in our country, the world needs Jesus, not the church. When they love Jesus, they will love the church. You see, we have to stop thinking that we've got to get people to be a part of us and start getting people to experience the presence of God. Why? Because everyone matters to God. Everyone matters to God. God 
prove that in the first two groups that he revealed himself to and invited them to be a part of the nativity. In every nativity that we have, we see the wise men and we see the shepherds. There's the wise men and there's the shepherds. We don't see the religious people. We don't see the people that have got this God all figured out. They're absent. We see the pagan astrologers that God said, come and see. We see the outcast shepherds that God said, come and see. And I say to you that there are pagan astrologers and there are outcast shepherds all around us every single day. So this is one thing that we are going to do that I want to invite you to be a part of it. This year, again, for the second year, we're going to have a dinner on Christmas Eve. After the dinner on Christmas Eve, we'll have a candlelight service here in this room. On Christmas Eve, this dinner, we are praying that the Lord would send the pagan astrologers and the outcast shepherds to come be a part of a dinner. If they want to be a part of a service after that, praise the Lord, they can be a part and participate with us in a service here. Our thrift store and outreach center is going to take the lead in this, but we need all of you to be a part of that as well. We need people that are willing to serve. We need people that would say, hey, I want to help with the finances of this dinner. And we need people to come and just eat and spend time with these people. Not for us to sit at our tables all alone and say, I'm going to sit here with the people that I know that are at the top of my Christmas list. But instead, we want people to come be a part of this that are going to go sit at a, ta at a, at a table with an outcast shepherd or a pagan astrologer and just build a relationship with them. Because the hope that shines in this candle can't stay on this candle stand in this sanctuary. That hope has to invade our lives to go into this world so that all of Daytona would love Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin praying for our Christmas Eve dinner right now. We're 25, 26 days away from this. I want you to begin praying every single day that the Lord would send people who do not have a relationship with him. And then I want you to come and I want you to show up. Pray that the Lord would begin speaking to them and speaking in their hearts. That the Lord would even right now, some 26 or so days ahead, would begin speaking and drawing them in the way that he appeared with the angels to the shepherds and appeared through a star to the wise men. And pray that the Lord would begin preparing them so that whenever they receive an invitation from us and from you, that they would come and be a part so that they would experience the hope of Christmas. And maybe, just maybe, for the first time in a long time or forever in some of their lives, that they would begin to understand what it's like to be at the top of somebody's Christmas list. Because Jesus came as the hope for the world and first appeared to the pagan astrologers and the outcast shepherds. This is our mission. This is what God has before us. 
And this is an opportunity for us to put our stake in the ground and say Jesus really is for everyone. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.